Hey guys, welcome back to the Did That Really Happen podcast. I am one of the hosts, Michael Clark. Caleb Rutherford can't be with me this year on most of these episodes as he is currently packing to move. You might hear a little dull roar of a crowd behind us today on the episode. I'm here at Sardis Lake Christian Camp and there's a bunch of preachers here this week, so I thought this would be a great time to sit down with some of them and get some of their stories. And today I have with me to fill in the gap for Caleb. I have with me to my left, doesn't matter to you, but it matters to me, that's Daniel Manning, the minister for the Somerville Church of Christ. Hello. And I have across from me, Evan Manning, the associate minister for the Forest Hill Church of Christ. Hey guys, it's good to be here. We are absolutely ecstatic to have another summer season of Did That Really Happen? And I told the guys to just kind of tell some stories about their ministry that they do, the life that they've lived as Christians, things that they've seen. But one thing that makes them united above all else, they are brothers by blood too. And so I also opened it up for any stories that might have occurred throughout their lives that they feel comfortable sharing. So basically, for you at home that have never heard the show before and don't know what we're doing, we're going to let the guys start off with a story. If we want to stop and talk about it, we'll do that. And if we get to a point where we want to chime in with a story of our own, we'll just chime in. There's no need to worry about interrupting each other today. And hopefully as you're driving or doing whatever, you can find some slight humor in this. Um, If at the very least you make fun of us, that will be fine too. So I'll just open it up for discussion for anybody that would like to start. Well, growing up, we had uh, so many memorable experiences. We started being preacher's kids when I was about 13 years old. Uh, My father had finished the Memphis School of Preaching. He finished his two years there. And he started working at a congregation in West Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, we have a very interesting story to tell. I'm going to let Daniel tell that one a little bit. Oh, yes. Uh, West Columbia. How could we ever forget? Well, there were a lot of homeless people there, weren't there? I think uh, I think it's just about the... We lived in the capital, and my dad, Jerry Manning, would uh, never be a stranger to anybody. That's true. Yeah. He needs to be on this podcast at some point. <laughs> yeah, Jerry he, he does. Tell three he hours does. worth of stories. Yeah. Oh, insane. yeah, absolutely. There, there's one that stands out above the rest to me, Evan. I think... Uh, uh, for, I'll save names in case this man ever listens. Right. Uh, he knows who he is. <laughs> He's probably listening right now going, they mean me. Don't say it. Don't say Don't it. Don't say it. They mean me. I know exactly who they yeah. are. All right, so, so BJ Clark. Was so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just like everybody is aware, you show up to church on Sunday, pretty standard procedure happens. You go through the rigmarole, you come out the other side, you go eat lunch. Well, one particular Sunday... Uh, this man that we were working with at the time showed up and uh, he walks into the foyer and behind him there's a track of something coming into the auditorium and so we come in we we look behind him and then the smell hits us Mm. and we think this isn't normal for a Sunday morning (laughs) this is just not right (laughs) And uh, apparently he had had a little accident. Mm. 
downstairs right before he came into the assembly. Oof. And uh, so he decided it would be a prudent thing to hose his white pants off with a garden hose right before he came in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True story. Kid you not. And if you can imagine, it doesn't, you know, wash everything out. And I guess he, he must, we were kids at the time, right, Evan? Yep. So yep. this is just like... 16. Yeah, I was probably 13. Yep. And uh, yeah, so in my mind, I'm just thinking an adult, he should have everything together. But uh, he, apparently he... There must have been something not going right. But uh, yeah, he walked into the foyer trailing sewage into the assembly. And my dad had to come in and tell the man it's not okay to come into Bible class not having washed yourself. This isn't isn't something you normally would think you have to handle as a preacher but uh so what he had to do was put a stop to what he was doing our house was uh right across the street we were staying in the the what they called the preacher's house at the time right and uh so he had to bring this man over there and wash his basically wash his pants for him in our washer which we we always remembered from that point on what had gone on in that washer but as the preacher as the minister he had to take him over wash his pants share his give him the uh not the shirt off his back but some of his own clothes the whitey tidies from his drawers and bring him back to worship but still, the man, the man still uh, attended our worship services, and he still came to our Bible classes, and that was, uh, that was an interesting one. Yeah, it's, it's really the stuff behind the scenes in ministry that... Uh, well, yeah. We, I was at a congregation once. It's funny enough, I have a similar story, but worse. <laughs> but it was you. Um, no. <laughs> no. No, we've told that story already on the, on the season one. Uh, shameless plug. Go back and listen to season one on the Scattered Abroad Network on all major podcast platforms. Segway. But we were at a congregation, and they were having a fellowship meal. And thankfully, this congregation had recently changed uh, their fellowship hall area to no longer have carpet. They had just switched over this is important to the story it's really lucky and um unfortunately they had not put tile down in the rest of the building but there was a a sweet sister who was wheelchair bound and unfortunately had to have a bag and that bag had a leak oh no and we had thought that it was a child that had accidentally you know made a mistake and didn't know any better and they were just walking around with that happening or a, a baby with a diaper and then we noticed that there was just this trail leading from the beginning of the fellowship hall area all the way to the exit of the auditorium, which is like is a so good bad. seven, eight hundred feet away, you know, a while away. And we could never figure out what had happened. Shortly after that, the congregation decided to get new carpet. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> that would have been, but, um, yeah, you you don't think that you walk into church on a Sunday yeah, morning right. and go, "I'm going to have to tell a man to change his clothes because 
he's had a mess. You know, this has uh, been dirty jobs with micro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what would have been the worst thing in the world is if the song leader got up that morning and said, "All right, for our invitation song, we'll be singing What Can Wash Away My Sins? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus." And that man went, "Ah, that's what I should have done." There's a fountain free. Yeah, there's a, there's a pool in Siloam. You know? <laughs> there's a bomb in Gilead. Yeah, they lose all their guilty stains. <laughs> but uh, you know that. Man, that's there's so many stories like that that have happened. I'm sure. Like, I, well, okay, I told on myself last year. I didn't tell. I don't think I told this story, but we were at a lectureship and I needed to use the restroom. And because of my illness, I like to ask for the restroom that's the furthest away from everything. And I was told, "Here's the restroom. No one will be in there." Very much oh, there, there were was. people in there. <laughs> and then I went to flush, and the toilet did not accept the flush it decided no we're going to go the opposite way and at this congregation that i had never been at before visiting for a lectureship it just spilled out all over the floor of course it did now yeah. i was lucky though somebody when they designed that bathroom had thought to put a drain mm. right next to the toilet that's <clears throat> really smart and it Save. was as if they said michael clark will be here one day Right. He's going to need this. We all feel that way from time to time. Yeah. I mean, you know, a garbage drain. Absolutely. Michael Clark. Exactly. Usually <laughs> so, linked. It was, it was pretty rough, but, you know, <clears throat> each his own. It is, uh, it is hard to uh, imagine this as part of your job, but there really is not a better job in all the world than being a minister. Um, you know, it, it fulfills you as a, as a man. It's a work that you can really put your mind to mm -hmm. and you can set yourself and get to work it's just fun when you find something along the way that uh is a little stinkier than you would expect yeah right <clears throat> something that's worthwhile you know that gives worthwhile. you gives you those stories because i've right. always said on the show i used to go with dad all the time to all these different meetings and lectureships and they have those dinners you know where all these preachers are sitting around and they're all telling these stories, and you're like, that didn't happen. You're a liar. Like, this, yeah, why are not, you lying? Yeah, not until you get into right. the situation. And right. then we sat for two years. All of us graduated from MSOP. By the way, if you're interested in attending the MEP School of Preaching, be happy to talk to you about that. But we sat for two years and heard stories from our instructors, and we were like, no. You're, you're making this up. You're embellishing something. Right. Maybe right. not everything, but something is not <clears throat> accurate. to what. And then we get out in ministry, and we're like, they didn't even tell me the whole half of what was going to happen to me. Yeah. That's, it's crazy. You didn't, uh, we never told you about that story when uh, we came to chapel. We're at school and BJ, BJ Clark rode in on a unicorn and he had a, <laughs> he had a sword with a rainbow shooting, shooting out of it. And man, it was crazy. That was Brother Mosier. That was Brother Mosier. Oh, yes. You know, that was, no, well, I don't know if you've ever had, you said ministry is so fulfilling. I just started local work in Enid, Mississippi, years ago now. I was going to be starting preaching school, and this congregation agreed to hire me to preach on Sundays. And we were having a gospel meeting, and so I said, let's door knock. And so we started door knocking, and I walk up the street to this house, and I knock on the door. One of our members opened it and said, hey. I said, oh, I didn't know you lived here. And she was like, shouldn't you? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> you know, you are correct, ma'am. But it felt like, so every time I drove by that house from that point forward, I was like, 
I know who lives there. <clears throat> it's yeah. really embarrassing because, you know, as a minister, you're supposed to know everybody. What yeah. makes it worse, though, is you might be listening and thinking, well, you know, with a large congregation, it was 12 people. <laughs> so surely I should have been to their houses at this point. Like There were 13 houses? Hey, there was no you know what? <laughs> you know, door knocking, that really, uh, that has some stories to it. Man. There's some things in the in the past. Uh, that have been. Didn't you get chased off a property? I did. I did. By a person actually, with a, well, you tell me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, we were kids. Hold on, we're gonna go to commercial. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you were <Yeah>. kids. <laughs> All right, we were kids. I think. I think Dad might have been in school. Yep. And we went on a campaign to yep. Georgia, and we were, we were going through a typical suburban neighborhood out in like Duluth, Georgia yeah, or something was, like that. It was that. Duluth. And everything was going fine. And I was a little timid. I think I was a little bit younger, probably like 10 or 11 years old. And so I was door knocking with my dad and he was the the point man. He would say everything. And then, then he started saying, all right, Daniel, it's your turn. Time to start talking. You got to knock on the door. You got to say the spiel. <laughs> and the first door we get up to there's this long pathway that leads up to the door with shrubs that block your exit. And there's pretty much from the garage up to the front door, a straight path along the side. And you walk up there and I, we knocked on the door and dad was really persistent. He would, he would say knock and then ring the doorbell and then knock again. Well, we apparently struck gold on this guy because we knocked, we rang, knocked again, and then from the garage, this man comes out shirtless in underwear, and Is it Jerry? he starts just <laughs> he starts just cursing us out oh, violently. And this is the first door that I'm supposed to talk. So there I turn around, "Hello, sir. Would you like to know about Jesus?" And he says, get off my property, expletive, expletive, goes, disappears. Right. Dad and I just look at each other. He reappears. He's got a pipe in his hand and he starts beating the ground with this pipe, <laughs> screaming yes. at us at the top of his lung. And yes. dad looks at him and says, sir, we're just trying to invite you to church. But if we have to, we have to defend ourselves to get off of your property. We will. If you'd please back away, we'll kindly leave your driveway. And I'm petrified, just like shaking in my boots, white yeah. as a sheet. Little 11-year-old Daniel just trying to do some door knocking. Yeah, you know. I just want to serve Jesus. Yeah. So, so we, we get away, and I look at Dad. I'm like, I don't think we should do this anymore. I, don't, I think I want to go back. And he's yeah. like, listen, just give it one more door. It'll all work out. So the very next house that we go to, it was kind of a, a redemption story. We go up and this sweet old woman opens the door and she's like, y'all are out door knocking. This is the nicest thing that has ever happened. Thank you so much. Come on in. I'll get you some lemonade. It was like 
the two total day and night sides of what you get when yeah, you're out there. Opposites. She polar came out opposites. with a pipe and said, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm your neighbor's <laughs> mom. Yeah, I was going to say, now my son lives next door. Have you been to this house? Starts beating the ground with a pipe. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you guys remember the campaigns as students, though. Oh, yeah. And those yeah. were a mixed bag. I mean, you never really know what you were going to get until you got there because, <clears throat> like, we showed up to one. I was supposed to be the campaign leader. And we went to where Jordan Graves' parents were at the time, Duluth, Georgia. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we were there. What is it about that place? I, it was, it's crazy it's because a... we went there and we were on the last day. And I was like, you know what? We're going to go to the mall. and We're going to pass out all of these flyers we have, put them on the cars. Because I've seen people do that. I come out and it's like, get a free windshield for only $400. And you're like, what? How does that work? Right. And so I thought, well, they can do that. Well, we can do it too. So we show up. We drop off Scott Ingram and a couple of others on one side. And me and Key Ford went to another with Jameson Stewart. I know it was just me and Jameson. We went to the other side. Within 10 seconds, Scott called and said, hey, the police are here. Which I thought was like really fast. Yeah. And then he said, well, they're the mall police. And I was like, oh, well, then they don't matter. No. Oh. <laughs> so he said, we've been told that we can't do this anymore. And yeah. I said, well, I haven't been told that yet. So when I hear that from someone with authority, I will stop. So we were like hiding behind cars and putting stuff in. The police were looking for us because Scott was honest and said, yeah, two of our, our party are over at the other end of the mall. So I then walked into the mall. Scott and his honesty. Come, Come on, on, Scott. Come, Come on, Scott. Scott. Just lie a little bit, yeah, I mean, man. Man, what were you, a preaching student? <laughs> yeah, Christian? Right, um, right. Love right. you, Scott. Uh, so <clears throat> I walk into the mall, and they have this little brochure thing. And it was like the exact size of the brochures for the meeting. Oh, that's perfect. And so I was like, this is a sign. And I went over <laughs> and read the sign that I saw, um, which said brochures of Duluth. And then I put the, put the stuff into that, and I left. And I walked out, and the, the police were talking to Jameson, and they were like, are you passing out stuff? And Jameson said, "Not, no, sir, we're not passing out anything because we weren't at that time. Um, and then he said, have you been passing out stuff? And we said, yes, we were passing out. Well, you don't need to do that anymore. We've stopped. Don't worry. And we went on. But that night we went and we said uh, – we are happy to announce that we have knocked today on over 700 doors. <laughs> the car, there were so many cars there at the local mall. And they were like, wow, how did they do that? There were only six of us. And we are like, over 100 doors per person was accomplished today before lunch. We were sprinting the entire time. <laughs> now, do you, do you have uh, any funny campaign-like experience? I, had, I was chased by a chihuahua once. Admittedly, I will, I will say... I ran and screamed yes. like a girl. I, I, have, I have a great story. Um, we went and stayed. Uh, I'm hesitant to say where, um, but we were on campaign. This was for the Memphis School of Preaching. We had a wonderful time while we were there. Me and uh, my friend Mike and Ryan, we were staying with this wonderful, sweet old lady. And she would cook for us in the mornings before we went out to Doorknock. And uh, she had a cat named Mittens, and everybody loved Mittens. It was the friendliest cat. It was oh, just man. the sweetest. And she loved Mittens more oh, than no. anyone else could love Mittens. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I started to love this cat as well. I would go out. We'd, we'd go out and door knock for the whole day. Then we would sit and we would listen to a gospel meeting. 
uh, that the Memphis School of Preaching put on, and then we would return to our our place, and she was waiting there for us. So was Mittens, wonderful cat. Well, in the middle of the night, I would hear this scratching on my window next to where I was staying, and Mittens would go outside. He would scratch on the window, and then he would come back inside later on. They had a cat door. So it, you know, kind of kept me up in the middle of the night a, a couple times, but she loved the cat, so I loved the cat. Well, <clears throat> a long day of door knocking goes by. I get back to this house. Me and Mike lay down. We're ready to go to sleep. And I get a call. <laughs> I don't know if I should continue the story, but you're, you're I'm, I'm deep. I'm in, I'm in too deep. I get a call, so I go outside, and I sit on the porch, and I'm watching the road while I'm uh, speaking to somebody and mittens looks at me and there was just something in this cat's eyes and, <laughs> and it walks out to the road it looks at me again it goes and it sits in the road and this car starts coming oh no now granted i'm i'm here i'm of a pure mind i love this sweet old lady that is taking care of me and i love mittens i'm trying to do the right thing and this cat looks at this car that's coming, and it looks back at me, then it looks at the car, and it looks back at me, and then it just turn, it gets up, it turns towards the car, and it just stays there. <laughs> and and I, I'm trying to get my mind right for the, the preaching and the door knocking that I have to do. And as, as soon as I uh, saw that, I said, hey, I've got to call you back. And I walk in the door, this sweet old lady looks me in the eyes and says, Have you seen Mittens? <laughs> yes. <laughs> says, Have you seen Mittens? And I go, uh, yes, I have. He was outside. And I walk straight into the bathroom. I put my phone down on the, on the, on the back of the toilet. And I, I just held onto the sink. And I had to take a couple deep breaths because I had to go and tell this. I'm telling you, uh, guys, this was the most wonderful woman that you would ever meet. And you just don't want anything bad to happen to her. But Amazing. something in this cat's eyes, it just, it did not want to live anymore. And uh, That's what it was scratching to let you know, hey, <laughs> I just need a witness. I'm getting ready to go. So we so we had to, uh, we we did help her um bury the cat and it was very sad and all that but she actually apologized to us because of all the commotion that the cat had caused and uh it was just such a sad thing so the next day we go and we go door knocking as we do every day it's it's about a seven day excursion that we go on and we go out <clears throat> we door knock we come back uh that night she had gotten another cat from the animal shelter and i forget what she named it but uh i remember mike and i looked at each other and we said we've got to we've got to go get a hotel because we can't be here for another one of those <laughs> that's, when, that's when she comes in with like a kitten and goes this is mittens <laughs> and you're like oh no what, does this happen a lot <laughs> they sleep in the basement yeah. what would have only made this story more creepy but also more like what is if you like, I go into the sink and I find a note 
with a cat print. From to me saying, I just can't take it anymore. She's <laughs> too sweet. Oh man, I remember that. We there were so many emotions that night. But you know, while you're trying to get your mind right to go out and do you know, it's a full day's work. So yeah. you're out in the hot sun, you're walking all day. They want you to wear a suit, they want you to be presentable. Um, so you come home and you're not ready for tra- suicide. Tra- trauma. <laughs> I mean, you're just not ready for it. But, you know, sometimes I, it just happens. <laughs> can't say well, much guys, about it's been that. a great week. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's probably that, that tops any campaign story that I've had. Although I did, I went on campaign. It's the same campaign I was at, and my instructor went with me. And this was during the 2016 election. And so the instructor goes, hey, let's go do something fun. Let's go to a movie. I was like, you want to hang out with us? Yeah, let's go to a movie. So me and Jameson went to the movies, and we are sitting in the theater seeing Doctor Strange. Okay. And during the midst of all of this, this instructor keeps loudly asking me about the election results. <laughs> so I have got my phone open now, just staring at the results, trying to watch the movie yeah. too, because every ten, terrible movie 10 goer. seconds he goes, is he still ahead? <laughs> Who's winning? And this guy was sitting in front of us, and I gathered quite quickly that he did not agree with the candidate <clears throat> that we were wondering about the chances of him having. And he just kept staring at us. And I was starting to get a little bit more sheepish, like, maybe we should uh, do this later. And he just kept asking, who's leading? Over and over. (laughs) And finally, we left the theater. And I was like, I feel bad for that guy. Because, number one, he has no idea probably what the movie was about. Because we kept talking. And number two, he probably hates us. Because he probably doesn't agree with who we were looking at potentially voting for. Doctor Strange, the 2016 election (laughs) version. But it was that was. You should have handed him a tract. That would have been pretty good, like a Republican tract. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, for for sure. Vote Um, red. (laughs) But yeah, the campaigns of all the stuff that we do at school. Yeah. The campaigns are probably the closest you get during school about seeing what like local work can look like because you never know whose door you're knocking on what's going to happen. Yeah, what yeah. Will, what will take place. I agree. It's all in real time. It's it, you know, when you're doing anything in practice, you yeah. have time to think of it. Um, you have time for trial and error. But then you get out there and you start knocking on doors, you start talking to people in uh, coffee shops, wherever it is that you're going. And uh, everything's real time. So there is no telling what's going to happen next. And that's part of the fun of it. Yeah. Uh, my father always said, well, uh, one of his favorite songs is Lead Me to Some Soul Today. So it's all about trying to find that one person. Mm-hmm. And we would keep that in mind uh, while we were talking to people. You know, is this the, is this the one? Is this the person that I'm going to uh, help today? And maybe the gospel will find root with this person. Right. Uh, but it's always it, it's always the strangest situation that seems to germinate into something yeah. pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, in working with your brother Ryan for five years, yeah. When we would go out into the community, Ryan, if you're listening to this, I don't care. Ryan's very blunt. You know. Yeah. Right. We were in the prison one night, 
and there was this guy talking to us. Just he's standing. He's he's only separated by a door that is shut. And Ryan says, "So what did you do?" And I'm over here like, "What are you doing? <laughs> you don't ask that." <laughs> this man could be like, "Oh, I killed a preacher." You know. <laughs> and so Ryan's like, "What you? What are you in here for?" And the guy goes, "Well, I was hitting my woman." And Ryan, I kid you not, goes, "Well, you probably shouldn't do that anymore, huh?" <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa. "Bro, that's like the kid." Who's like throwing rocks at a snake from a distance, and he's like, yeah. nah, it's not gonna come after me." Because <laughs> yeah. look at that, there's a little creek or whatever. He can't yeah, get right, here. right. And then all of a sudden, you're like getting so close, hitting it, and you're like, "Wait a minute, there's no separation anymore." Yeah. And I was like, "Watch these doors malfunction," and then open, and that yeah. guy be out. What'd you say to me? Because Ryan's just like, "Yeah, you probably should uh, start living better, huh?" Like, was just, he was he behind bars? Yeah, or? I mean, he was. Oh. So he was. Um, th- this is the same guy that told us like, well, "Yeah, we're not allowed to have anything behind here." Like, we can't have anything. And then he holds up a piece of paper. I don't know how he got it. I don't know Super who, sneaky. who gave it to him. But he holds up a piece of paper, and then he puts his finger over his mouth and says, shh. And he starts folding it into something. And I'm over here like, what could he make that could possibly open that door? Paper airplane? Is there anything that he could do to, like, <laughs> hey, the door's open now? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what paper can do. I mean, I heard that you can fold paper over 42 times or whatever and reach the moon. <laughs> If that's possible, <laughs> what can you do that it would is. open the door? No. And so Ryan's over there just kind of like, yeah, show us what you can do with that piece of paper. And I'm like, will you just stop <laughs> talking? Just stop it. I don't want to die You need today. to quit. Stop like, antagonizing this uh, prisoner. And he's just going on and on about it. And we got out to the car, and I looked at Ryan. I said, don't you ever do that again. What like, was it? What was on the piece it, of he paper? He made a cross out of it. He, okay. Like an origami cross. That's cool. Well, that's yeah, that's actually like, kind of sweet. Cool. And then when this guard walked by, he dropped it real quick. Like, like I, I know I'm not supposed to have this. And I was like, this man will kill us if he yeah. gets out here tonight. <clears throat> and Ryan's over there like, yeah, you probably should stop being a bad person, right? You know what I mean? You should, um, <laughs> you should totally change. Hey, he's a gospel preacher. He's got to call people to I repentance. Mean, that's true. I mean, we, what if we, on that piece of paper, there was a little cat print? <laughs> it, was the <laughs> it, said, it said mittens. <laughs> he was the one that ran over. It was a hit and run. <laughs> No, well, that same night was we were in that little area because they had went into lockdown. Yeah. Because apparently one of the prisoners stabbed another prisoner. Right. And it was in the cell block. Like when we would go and do these, I don't know if you've ever gotten to go to one because COVID kind of stopped our ability I've to been, do it. Yeah, okay. I've been since. So you, you get to like pick what cell block you go into usually. We almost, if I'm remembering this one correctly, we almost picked the cell block where the stabbing took place. Oh, perfect. Oh, nice. And for some reason... Frank said, "No, let's go to let's go to Pod B or something tonight." We almost always went to Pod A, and we went to Pod B, and then like all of a sudden, lockdown, 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 Pod A, Pod A, and we're told to get out. Now, me, I get very scared when stuff like that's going down because I'm thinking we don't know what lockdown means. What if like the pod opened and they're just like out and they've taken guns and they have all this stuff? Like I don't know what that means. And so I'm freaking out, and I'm like, all right, we got to go. Frank is shaking everyone's hand in the cell block that we're in <laughs> and telling them, I hope you have a great night. And the, the prison guard is going, sir, get in here now. Yeah. And it's just like, and Frank's just like, brother, I'll see you next week. And just would not stop I mean, he's like 83, people. isn't yeah. he? And he's a boxing champion, so he's probably like, I yeah. can take I can take all yeah, of these inmates. Frank's bring, awesome. Bring and then it that's on. how we got into that little area where Ryan was in like, you know, antagonizing an inmate. Well, Ryan is a chess champion, so he could probably 
Yeah, you know, you know, he would take the king and just <laughs> hit him yeah, in the yeah, yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, we've got some uh, we've got some prison interaction stories from uh, from our childhood. Yep, hit us. Let's go. We've, we we uh, so I think uh, Dad used to do a prison ministry for a couple of years. Yeah, he did. I think we lived in South Carolina at the yep. time. West Columbia. He did that for about five years. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember multiple times we would have people after they got released, they loved dad, and so they'd contact him, they'd try to find some help through the church. And, yeah, I uh, think they probably loved him because they were almost as crazy as he is. Almost. Yeah. I hope I hope one day he hears me say that. I'm going to send him the episode, okay. don't worry. We'll be Sounds sure. Good. We'll He'll be sure to get it He to won't him. know how to play it. Oh, okay. No. no. <laughs> I love you, Jerry. Love you, Dad. <laughs> well, yeah, we had a, a man come over to our house once. I think he was a he was a pretty hardened criminal. He had been yep. in there for years. Yep, I remember. And, uh, yeah, me and Evan were sleeping in the room, and I think uh, I think he was on the top bunk in your pajamas. Yeah, yeah. So we would uh, we would kind of act as almost like a halfway house in yeah. many respects. But uh, there were so many of us in there um, that we felt we felt comfortable. But it was uh, it took a lot of courage for my mom and dad to kind of step out there and help them. And they were in a position where they could do that. You know, there's we didn't have any um, sisters growing up or anything like that, you know. And we were all, you know, hopped up on martial arts and and you know God's way. martial arts and God's word. That's what we were doing. <laughs> and uh, so these these people would get out, and we would help them. And they would stay with us for a couple days, and then they would be on their way, uh, finding a place to live or f- finding a part time job. One time, <laughs> this is great. One time, uh, my brother Daniel had this bike. Oh, and oh it, man, don't bring up the bike. And Daniel loved this bike. And this man uh, got out of prison, and he came and he stayed with us for a day. And we we had him worship with us on Sunday. And uh, he was very personable, very nice. Uh, he didn't have any violent crimes. I think it was petty thefts, yeah, petty things thefts. like that. And I don't so, see where this is going. So he... <laughs> He worshipped with us. And, uh, again, this is the same place. Uh, Well, anyways, moving on, he gets a job, or so we think, and he says, I'll see you guys next Sunday. And Wednesday rolls around. He didn't come to Bible class. We were kind of wondering where he was. And then I think it was on a, a Friday or a Saturday, Daniel's bike was in the backyard, across the street from the church and someone stole daniel's bike oh no and sunday rolls around a day or two after and we're all taking the lord's supper (laughs) yep and the church was right next to highway one and we see old boy on daniel's bike (laughs) riding down the highway past the church and we could see him right through the auditorium windows (laughs) while we're taking the lord's supper yeah i think i i think my distinct thought at that moment we were giving the plate was going around (laughs) and i think they were praying and i looked over and i saw the guy riding past 
and they had just said something like, let's not give grudgingly or something like that. And I was like, yeah, but it doesn't count if they take it from you. <laughs> they steal it. I didn't give that. <laughs> they stole it I didn't it give me. that bike. I wanted to ride that bike it was later. Such a, it was such a perfect moment because you're thinking, all right, we're, we're extending ourselves out here trying to help the community. And here they are stealing our stuff. Now, I borrowed Daniel's next bike that he got. <laughs> and on, I man. worked at Chick-fil-A <laughs> at the time. I was 16. And, and he came back and stole it. I, you know what? Could've it could have been. Oh, Because wow. I, went, I went and parked <laughs> this bike behind Chick-fil-A where I was working. And, uh, yeah, it was gone when I got off work. I had a bike lock and everything. This dude... All that was left was uh, a cut lock and bike was gone. And uh, it was just one of those things where I don't think Daniel needs a bike. I, I don't I don't think I've owned a bike since then. Yeah. I was be 14. Funny. Very you get, traumatic. Like, a stationary bike and it's gone too. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you, you buy, you buy like a biking game and it's stolen. And the guy's yeah. like, that man will never have a bike. I promise you, if I die, it will be stealing. You sir can only have a tricycle. That's his only. That's his only crime though is stealing bikes. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's his that's calling right. card. The bike thief. Yeah, um, the two wheeled bandit. <laughs> <laughs> the cyclist Connor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So when I was like eight, I had asked for, well, I'd, I'd gone on vacation to my grandmother's and she worked in a school and it was the end of the school year and they had a policy where if the students left and there was still a bunch of stuff in the lost and found, you could take what was in it. Because like they didn't claim yeah. it. They're not going to watch it for the summer. And I found this briefcase. It was really cool. And inside the briefcase was a big red stain. And I had said that it was blood. That some, you know, my eight-year-old brain was like, somebody got somebody shot. Somebody died. And they died protecting this briefcase. And so I had this briefcase. I was very proud of it. I carried it around everywhere. I tried to look like a businessman. And I had in there a little action figure I had, a Bible, a bunch of stuff. You know, nothing valuable money-wise. Like, not a single thing. And one Sunday afternoon... We got out of the car and like most eight-year-olds do, I decided I need to bring my briefcase with me. And so I get out with it and we walk in and I'm like, oh, sir, you can't have the briefcase in here to my dad. And so he was like, hey, bud, go put it back in the car. So I go out to the car and it's locked. Well, being lazy, I thought, oh, I'll just slide this briefcase under the car and nothing will happen to it. And we came back out and it was gone. Somebody stole it. Now I look back on that and think we weren't in the best area at the time, right? Where we were eating, one of one of the members was like, "Let's go eat here," and so we were eating with them, and it wasn't necessarily the safest place. So I wonder if someone thought it was like a drug drop. Like they I had took gone it. out. This little eight-year-old kid walks out, you know, because daddy can't get caught, right? And he puts this briefcase under the car, and this man's like, but "It's I'm, the signal." I also go. would love to think that like there was an actual deal that was set up that day, and yeah. I botched it. <laughs> yeah, and that's all they got. And that's what they got. So like, we got twenty eight kilos in here. They open it up. It's a Bible. <laughs> it's a sign. Figure, and they're like, "What?" They say the Lord works in mysterious <laughs> ways. And apparently, I'm quoted as saying after being calmed down because my stuff was stolen. Yeah. 
I'm apparently quoted as saying, well, at least they stole the word of God. <laughs> <laughs> what a loser. It sounds like, like, yeah, <laughs> sounds like something your son would say, but actually. That's true. Adam would be like, at least they stole Jesus' At least words. they and stole then Jesus. Him. And then I would be like, bro, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the world just, they, they need to hear this one. I have been uh, holding on to this one for a while. It has nothing to do with church-related stuff. All right. I went on a date once as a teenager to the park. I, I'm putting this out there because maybe this guy's listening. We were in Memphis. I think we went up to the metal museum and me and my girlfriend at the time, we, we were going to have sandwiches out in the park. We br- made a little picnic basket and then we were going to go into the metal museum. Well, we show up that day and the museum's closed. And so we're like, yeah, it's okay. We'll just go in the park and set out our picnic blanket and it'll be good. We'll just have a nice day. Right. So halfway through getting everything set up, she, she looks at me and she's like, Hey, I really got to go to the bathroom. Is there a a place around here? I'm like, actually we're going to have to drive like two minutes down the road, stop off and then we'll come back. We'll just leave our stuff set up here in Memphis. Bro. That was your first mistake. So I come back picnic baskets gone blanket's gone we're like oh no what happened and then it hits us somebody stole our picnic basket and to make matters worse the guy didn't just steal it he waited for us to get back looked at us out of his window smiled and waved and then sped off really fast that's awesome to this day I need to know who this man is. So if if, if he's Dukes, listening, Dukes of Hazard style, you he know. Did. What's funny is he went home to his wife or girlfriend and said, "Honey, I brought something. <laughs> We're right. gonna go on a picnic." <laughs> he's just sitting there all day going, "Who's romantic and, and dumb now, enough to leave?" <laughs> and now he's a Christian. The Lord works in mysterious ways. It's my dad. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that man was, was brother my Mosier. father. It was brother Mosier. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was nine. And went to my aunt's for a week, and there was this little playground area down the hill from where they lived. We were all playing. All of a sudden, this car comes up, and he's going, Michael! Michael! I'm like, looking at him, like, do I know you? Who, who is this? And he was like, come here! Come here! And so I was like, okay. No, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I've been trained better than that. I had a briefcase. So I, <laughs> no, sir, this briefcase tells me not to go. So I didn't go. And we, our little group, cousins and siblings and all, we all went back up to the house and called the police. Come to find out this man was wanted like for kidnapping. Really? And it's apparently incredible. he had been sitting and he heard one of the cousins or siblings say my name. And was in like, okay, that's Michael. And so I'm, I'm flattered that he picked he me. He chose you. I he mean, chose there you. Were, there were some pretty good-looking siblings and cousins with me that day, and he picked me of everyone. I was very flattered for about 10 I mean, seconds until I realized he wanted to kidnap me to probably murder me. <laughs> so <laughs> like, that's not That great. would not have been a great thing. <laughs> Again, eight-year-old mind was like, Oh, he want he picked me. He still got picked first. Though. I felt like I was on American Idol. Like yeah. I get to go to Hollywood. Yeah. Like really? I mean, that is one form of winning, though. You were picked by the serial that killer. That is true. I mean, you you got to feel somewhat special. That's flattery. Yeah, because I mean, one of my cousins was there, and she was also pretty cute. You know. Yeah. I, I got picked. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of lord that over them. You know, every now and then when they get a little too big for the britches, say, hey. <laughs> yeah. 
The kidnapper wanted me. <laughs> he was wanted, and he wanted me. That's right. So I'm wanted by the one who's wanted. That's right. It's pretty big. He kind was of, wanted dead or alive, and he wanted me probably dead. But, you know. How did we get on this topic? Who knows? So another time. No. <laughs> well, what other... What stories maybe about your brothers? Because, I mean, you grew up with six brothers. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people. And uh, true to form, their father, Jerry, is one of the most, like, sincere, kind-hearted, loving people that you will ever meet. But the man can also just, like, look at you right in your face and be like, you are wrong. Yeah. And it's impressive. It's impressive. I I appreciate that about him. Like, we went door knocking with him one day. Yeah. And actually, that was the day that he convinced, like, 58% 58% of the youth day attendees to like <laughs> yes. randomly storm Memphis and Germantown and Carterville yeah. with went to the mall and I didn't even tell my dad we were leaving and so my dad came to pick me up and he was like where are you and I was like I'm here with brother Jerry Manning we're being Spartans <laughs> yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna convert everyone here today that's right and dad was like next time you should like tell me that you're leaving yeah. I came to pick you up <laughs> yeah. but what are some stories like growing up with your brothers where I mean we, we heard about the bike stealing Ryan's the oldest. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, you know, he kind of kept to himself. Yeah, that uh, sounds like him. He kept to himself. We have some great videos of when our mother wasn't there, dad would be painting the roof. And uh, there's a video of Daniel who is two years old, and Ryan's holding on to Daniel on the roof. And the pitch, we grew up in a farmhouse, the pitch was insane. I mean... If you stood up straight, you would fall over. Um, but yeah, so there's a video, and and we're passing this this camera around, and we're all saying, "Don't tell mom, you know, <laughs> don't 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 tell mom that Daniel was on the roof," and Dad was just up there painting away, and you know we're up there with him, and it, you know that was sort of the uh, the idea and everything we did. It was an adventure. Right. You've got all these people around you to go on adventures with. Right. And. Uh, the adventure would usually be, uh, you know, our father was great about bringing us to places like visits at the hospital, you know, bring us there. And, um, you know, we'd sing. I remember the, the song we'd always sing is uh, um, draw me nearer and near to the cross and Jesus keep me near the cross uh, to the people in the hospital. And when you're growing yeah, up as cool. a as a as a child, that's that leaves a, a serious impression. So things get wild and crazy because there's six yeah. six uh, crazy boys running around. But he always found a way to uh, make it spiritual. Yeah, yeah. We we used to have uh, we used to have grandparents that weren't our grandparents that we thought were our grandparents because we'd go to the nursing home hmm. to visit grandma so and so and. I just, as a kid, thought, well, she's actually related to me, but she was just some woman that was associated with a friend of dad's or something. And we just go to the nursing home and sing. And then I thought it was pretty cool because uh, all the people on that floor would come and they'd say, y'all sounded beautiful. Could you come sing? These people haven't had visitors. And um, weeks sometimes, or yeah. they've just been rotting away in here. Could you come lift their spirits? And it's really nice to do that as a kid and then have your brothers around and you do that as a family. And then you move on in your life and you get into ministry and you think, 
this is so important to be able to do this stuff. And it's nice to have a family that does that too. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, and if you don't have your mother and father leading you in that, sometimes it's hard to see. Right. But when you have, I would recommend if you're starting a family to have more than one child uh, because growing up with a large family was awesome. Um, now, my m- mother dedicated her life to raising us. So that's, you know, 20 some odd years of having children that you cook and clean for um, and teach and uh, put up with, really. But uh, they were, our parents drew very hard lines where they needed to, and they were relaxed where they needed to. So yeah. when it was time to play, you know, we, yeah. would, we would go to these science museums. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And dad would have hacky sacks. Right. And, you know, like six-story museums. And there would, be, uh, there would be dad, and he would be chasing us around these museums uh, with a hacky sack trying to hit us so that we would be out right and we would have to run past the security guards which we weren't allowed to run past <laughs> and uh you know he'd he'd help us break the rules in a in a good way but then when it came to something like you're in worship service as an eight-year-old if you act up in worship you will die that's just <laughs> how it goes uh so you can break the rules uh anywhere you know you you can play and have a good time because you're a kid but when it comes to spiritual things you follow the rules and it was uh it was a hard balancing act that he did but he did a good job and that's that's really what being a a child growing up in a large family of boys and christian boys was all about yeah well i think about your family six graduates of the memphis school of preaching Right, five, five, five. Okay. five graduates. I'm trying to remember everybody no, correctly. It, dad, six. Would, dad would oh, be six. Oh, yeah. dad, yeah, um, not just the boys. And you've got six graduates that have all gone through preaching school. Four yep. that are still actively in ministry. Yep. At least most of the six that graduated spent a period of time in ministry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then found passions and abilities to serve in other areas, which is totally fine. That's a euphemism uh, for. They just got lazy and they don't want to be ministers anymore. <laughs> Jerry, we love you. Uh, that was that was not directed at you. Dig, dig, dig. It's probably directed more at uh, what was it, John? John, was, yeah, that's, that's definitely John. Um, but you you look at y'all's family and it's always been a joke, you know, the, the Manning clan, you know, yeah, kind of deal. Right. But that's that's how I've always seen you guys as a, yeah. a family that is very worth an imitation of how to do it and do it well. Y'all are crazy all yeah. in your own right. Yeah. And I appreciate that about you all. But you you guys have definitely been raised and reared in a good way. And to see everybody in ministry in the way that they are and, and having the ability to have worked with two Manning brothers, um, you know. I guess not three, right? Three? Three, yeah. I mean, we worked together, Evan. Yeah, that's right. that? Three to go. Yes, three, um, <laughs> three to go. <laughs> like, like Thanos of Manning Brothers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I will work with all. Well, actually, two to go. You got all I've the good ones. I've worked with four, yeah. You got go. all the good ones. Yeah. So, Don't you know, worry about yeah. it. Um, I, my, my goal is to get Josh here yeah. at some point. Oh, yeah. And then just be like, for a day, work with him and be like, accomplished. <laughs> Mission and then accomplished. John's technically my insurance agent, so we work together. So Josh is the only one that I'm lacking. There you go. Um, but it's it's been fun getting to work with Daniel and seeing him 
in ministry. I, I hadn't gotten to see that side of him. I'd seen that side of you and, of course, of Ryan. Yeah. But Daniel's doing a good job at Somerville. Um, yep. Made it a lot easier to leave knowing Daniel was there because I, I couldn't trust he Ryan. He hated Come me. On. <laughs> I trust Ryan. Although, really. you should tell them how it happened because, like, Oh, yeah. It was pretty quick. Yeah, so it was like January of 2020, right? Uh, we made it through COVID. 21. Yeah, 21. This was all last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so 2020 in December, I guess New Year's, right? Yeah. So New Year's, you come up and talk to me, and you're like, hey, how's everything going? And I think I was working at the time, and I said... I really want to get back into ministry full time. Yeah. And you said, huh, I'm trying to get somebody to come work with the youth at Somerville. And then lo and behold, that all opened up and I came over there and basically like four days later, you were like <laughs> four days. <later. laughs> it was like three months later. You started in, in March. Yeah. And in June, I called him in and I said, hey, I'm just, thinking just a slow heads up here. But yeah conversations are starting i don't know where they'll go but i i promised ryan when we first started working together we made a pact that if either of us ever thought about leaving or something ever presented itself whether it was a sure thing or not we would tell the other person that way they would know and we wouldn't have to feel like we had to be secretive around each other and so i called in daniel and brian bren i knew (laughs) i was gonna do that but i call never mind daniel and bren called them in and told him that and daniel's words were like are you kidding me (laughs) are you serious right now and i said well my hope would be that you could just take over what i'm doing and just pick up everything there and and be good to go and uh very very proud to have you in my office instead of ryan um it's my office now that's right well uh, yeah you're right i did show up the other night and i started calling at my office for the members and looking at me funny you mean daniel's office i'm like no, no, it's <laughs> still it, mine. Show me some respect. So, like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I have been, of course, still keeping up with Somerville as, as any preacher who leaves a work does yeah. as best as he can. You know, I'm not there anymore, but I watch and I watch your sermons. I watch Ryan's sermons and I'm, I'm excited to see where the congregation is going. Uh, it wasn't an easy work to leave, but I'm sure where you were at wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to leave either. And you embarked back on the ministry, and here we are. Yeah. You know, if I could offer a shameless plug for the Memphis School of Preaching, I was, I, we are currently, uh, let's see, what's the date? June 21st. 21st. We are at Sardis Lake Christian Camp. I've talked to probably five people about attending the School of Preaching. And one of the questions that they have is, well, what if I don't? want to be a preacher right now yeah and uh when i started school my father had been a preacher for a while and one of the things that i noticed he really could have benefit benefited from would be a real tight uh wise eldership yeah um a good group of guys that uh are apt to teach and have been in the church for a while have been taught can teach you know they're great leaders it's so important it's it is so important and when you see your dad as the preacher working his rear end off uh and struggling in those areas sometimes now he had amazing elders but there was a need for more of them uh 
I said, all right, I'm going to attend the school of preaching because I want to be an elder one day. And I'll be a deacon, I'm sure, but I want to be an elder because I saw a need. And uh, going through the school, I was very upfront about that. I said, I would like to, I'm here because I, I need to be an elder one day. And that's my goal. And the list of requirements for an elder is, it's extensive. So you really have to get your life together. So I thought this was a good way to do it. I was working in the health and fitness industry for, you know, a number of years after I had graduated. And I got an offer for a really cushy, cool job from one of my clients. And I thought, well, this is a good opportunity. So I'll think about it. I talked to my wife about it. The day after, one of the elders at the Forest Hill Church of Christ, where I was attending and worshiping, uh, came up to me and said, hey, we need uh, an associate minister. We need a minister over here to, to help with visits and some of the benevolence work and evangelism and working with the kids. And uh, we would really like you to do it, but we need it and we need it now. And I had just got another offer. Uh, so I thought, okay, now I really need to think this over. And uh, I, my thought was, well, I, I said that I didn't want to be a preacher, but why not? Right. And I had the training. I was experienced. I had I had done you know my internships while I was going to school. You go and work with other congregations, and there was a need. And I'm a Christian, so I went for it. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. I have a better family life uh, spiritually. I feel a lot um, a lot more active. Like I am actually growing, like I should be. Uh, and it's all because I got the training early on. I knew I was capable. I had said that I didn't want to jump right into ministry, but it jumped at me. And when the opportunity presents itself, sometimes you're just thankful that you have the training. So it's two years of your life where it is paid for. You have housing. You have amazing curriculum and instructors to teach that. Um, there is a really good sense of community around the campus. So it would be, it behooves me why other people don't want to go more. Yeah. Can, um, I, can I say something yeah, on that? Go ahead. I, I think one of, the, one of the biggest things that people say is they don't want to get into it because they're afraid that if I go to preaching school and then I get out of preaching school and don't immediately go into preaching for the rest of my life, I'm wasting everybody's time and money. Yeah. And I think it's just not true because the church needs people that are ready at different times. Yeah. And an opportunity might pop itself up just like Evan's talking about. And if you're not trained, then an opportunity might arise where you're needed but you're not ready or able to step into that yeah and so i think having the time where you can dedicate your life to something and just make that decision to be trained the church is going to need leaders and people that are always willing to step up or just good workers and you yeah. learn that you know i mean not to get completely philosophical and biblical but 
there's a verse that kind of reminds me of that where Mordecai was telling Esther, have you thought about the fact that you might be here for such a time as this? Such a time as this. And I tell people when we talk about the school, if you'll come and get the knowledge, who knows yeah. where your local congregation will be in a bind and maybe they're looking for a preacher. Yeah. And a lot of times churches, when they're looking for a preacher, they have to be very dependent upon fill in work from other preachers that can come and try out. Well, if someone's yeah. there that has the knowledge and can pitch in and fill in, they could just start preaching and helping out. And I know of situations where that ends up becoming a job itself because they yeah. realize, Hey, this is what I want to do and I'm enjoying doing it. Um, yeah. And you don't realize how many churches right now are closing their doors yeah. because not only do they not have a preacher, but nobody is signing up to be their preacher. Right. I mean, there are vacancies, but the way, the way I, I started thinking about it recently is you become a Christian and you start attending worship. And as a, as a man, a lot of men sit in the pews and they think, well, they give an excuse like, well, I just don't do that. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, singing. Mm -hmm. I just don't do that. You don't want me up there singing. But I know, since I'm a Christian, that I'm going to sing Wednesday night and Sunday morning and afternoon at minimum. Right. At minimum, that's what I'm going to do. So why not get really good at it and practice? If you, know, if you can't hold the note, practice. Take some lessons. Get good at it. And this is sort of that, that sort of training that is offered to you. It's, it's crucial to your walk as a Christian man as a leader yeah um it's a great opportunity to say all right i may not be good at this thing but i can get good at it right and i can become someone who is ready stands ready to uh preach the gospel so anyways that's what i had on the did that really happen purely entertainment podcast we have gotten philosophical so you can now ask the question did that really happen and it did, and it was fine. I'm, I mean, my job is to work in recruiting, so I'm never going to stop somebody from literally doing my job for me for, for three or know. four minutes. That's that's perfect because uh, now I have that audio, and I can splice it and use it wherever yeah. I want. Um, that's the great thing about co-directing a network. We own the audio, so I could just be like, hey, Caleb, I'm going to use this for some stuff. Caleb's going to say, have at it, brother. Could you scramble my words up so it sounds like I said something I really shouldn't? I could. Okay. What would be better is if I if I put like the effect on the voice where it's like, and then we said. So it's like, this man doesn't want to be revealed who he is. Yeah. But this is what he said about the school. I have been known to say these things in the past. <laughs> well, is there any funny note you'd like to end on? Any story about life, ministry, love, the pursuit of happiness, whatever might come to your mind that is a good thing to, to hit on maybe? Uh, before we close out well we started with toilet humor yeah so maybe it's good that we end on this uh positive christian note unless daniel has something i'm i'm good okay all right well i have about 10 more no um (laughs) so i have enjoyed having you guys on the podcast uh if you've ever gotten to hang around evan and daniel you know they're hooting a holler um Sometimes it's fun to just literally sit down with them and just like we did with the Mitten story, you walk in, now there's a note from Mittens. Like, Dude. <laughs> no one. Dude, that's real. No one but us that goes cat, to that level of, you know. That cat did that. I would love to think that that cat saw you and finally said, you know what? He's the one. <laughs> He's I've been waiting. The chosen one. Because, I mean, 
they probably have had more than one campaign in Mitten's lifetime in that yeah. area, and she probably housed oh, the more congregation, than one student. The congregation knew Mitten's. You know what would be great I mean, is if we get an email at the network because this has happened with a couple of things when someone says bro i stayed there too mittens was and mittens scratched every night but i never went outside i i believe mittens was looking for uh just the person to be like i need a witness <laughs> I, I don't want my owner to not know what happened to me but what's best about that is then you went and sounds like oh, yeah i saw him. i saw him. To bed. i needed him no i uh, hey i told her i told her eventually but uh eventually like you it called her four months later by the way <laughs> Remember mittens? <laughs> I saw wow. him. I saw him flattened on the side <laughs> of the road. Okay, well. Um, Anyways. Tune in next week on Tuesday for the Through Their Eyes podcast where we continue our conversation about church leadership. And then again next Thursday for another Did That Really Happen? You'll probably hear another episode that sounds similar to this one in the audio quality. Uh, I'm recording several of these at camp. And uh, we're trying new things. But one thing I wanted to mention as we are continuing on, the network is thinking about trying to pursue more entertainment-based shows and media to give people a Christian opportunity to be entertained without having to worry about different things that are going on in the world. If you are interested in something like that and would like to drop us a line at our email, you can do that at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com, as well as reaching out to us on all social media platforms. If you have a funny story that has happened to you, Caleb and I are, are planning to go live currently uh, this July. Uh, we don't know the date yet specifically, but we do plan to go live together. We would love to have stories that we can tell. I'll stress, just as I've stressed to all of our hosts, we all have stories that we can tell, and we also have many stories that we probably just shouldn't tell. I really do hope and pray that you will send appropriate stories. If it is not appropriate, we will not read it, and I will uh, report you to the Brotherhood Police. Um, <laughs> I know who they are, and I am not afraid to email them. So with that being said, as you ask the questions from today's podcast on Did That Really Happen, remember to look forward to next week for two more episodes in our summer content. God bless. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.